everyone, and welcome back to Don't Get Me Started with DRMS. My name is Greta Martin, and I'm the Litigation Director here at Disability Rights Mississippi. And today, we're going to learn a little bit more about our children's rights team and the work they do. And I have a very important guest here today. Her name is Victoria Anderson, and she is our children's rights attorney, and she oversees the work of the team alongside our legal director, who you heard from in our previous episode. So, Victoria, tell us a little bit about yourself and your position and how long you've been here at Disability Rights Mississippi. Well, I'm Victoria, and I supervise the children's rights team I've been here since May of last year, and my team, again, is the children's rights team, and it consists of two primary parts, which is the education part and the facility part, and I have two advocates who work under me. Um, One does education work, and one does facility work. Awesome, and so um, when you say you have a couple of advocates, I know one of your advocates is actually in our Gulf Gulf Coast office, correct? Correct, that's Angela. Okay, and then... Um, We have one advocate that's here in our Jackson office. Yes, and that's Veronica. Okay, and you said they primarily uh, handle facilities and education. That's the two focuses of the team? Right. Okay, awesome. So, all right, so first things first, I want to start at the beginning um, because I want to break this down for parents that might be listening and need your team's help. All right, Victoria, so let's start at the beginning because I want to break this down for parents that might need your team's help. Um, Let's start with the laws that are put in place to help protect children with disabilities. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yes. So when we talk about laws that protect children with disabilities, three major laws come to mind. The first one is going to be the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Um, We call that the IDEA. Under the IDEA, all children with disabilities are entitled to a free, appropriate public education, FAPE, in the Least Restrictive Environment, LRE. Then, second, we have Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, the short version, Section 504, which prohibits discrimination based on disability and applies to any school receiving federal money. Then last, there is also Title II of the Americans with Disability Act of 1990, also called Title II, which prohibits discrimination based on disability, but applies to all state and local entities, whether or not they receive federal money. Okay. And just, okay, so there's a couple of terms that I have heard just with my limited education knowledge, Um, and I wanted to kind of define those as well for parents that may not understand what these terms are. So first, I hear about an IEP. So tell me what an IEP is. Okay, so IEP stands for Individualized Education Program, and this is the plan that comes under the law we just talked about, IDEA. And it is the plan that's developed to um, implement the the proper supports and accommodations for a child eligible for special education services under the IDEA. Okay. And then there's a 504 plan, which is different? Yes. Okay. Uh, The the 504 comes up under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, and it's broader, so sometimes a child with disabilities who doesn't qualify under the IDEA 
may qualify for a 504 plan. And it is also another way to implement services and supports to help a child with a disability. Okay, so now that we know a little bit more about the laws that have been put in place to assist children with disabilities, let's talk about how your team can help. Um, so what qualifies a child to get assistance from our children's rights team for education-related issues? So we have a case selection criteria that's based on guidance from our funders as well as our yearly goals and objectives. So it can change um, from year to year and that determines which cases we can and cannot take. Unfortunately, we can't help all of the children in the state of Mississippi, but for any of the children we cannot help, we always provide them with a referral and we have some other great resources here in our state for those children, including the Mississippi Parent Training and Information Center, MSPTI, and the Institute for Disability Studies, IDS. Okay, and I have just a few like specific questions that I was curious about what your team would provide with, what, what your team would provide with um, assistance or resources or referrals like for example what if a child was failing school and they reached out to your team what kind of assistance could we provide there well for starters we hope that a disabled child would already have an IEP plan or a 504 plan in place but if they do not um, our first advice would be to make a written request to the school to evaluate your child. It's very important that this be in writing, and that can be email or letter. Um, this evaluation would determine if the child does qualify for special education services. If the child has an eligibility under the IDEA, then an IEP meeting would be held to implement the necessary and appropriate supports and services for that child. If the child doesn't, if the child doesn't qualify under the IDEA, um, again, a 504 plan may be appropriate. Gotcha, okay. And what if a parent or caretaker disagrees with an IEP? What's, what are their options at that point? So the first step would be to request an IEP meeting in writing to uh, try to work that out with the school um, and address those concerns. If you continue to dispute your child's IEP, then you can request what's called an independent educational evaluation. Sometimes that's called an IEE for short. Your child would then be evaluated by a qualified examiner outside of the school. The school district generally provides the parent with a list of providers who can do this. The parent can also suggest someone, but they have to be qualified to do that. Um, once the IEE is complete, the, IE, the IEP committee would reconvene to review the findings and then revise the IEP. Okay. Um, so are these all, these are all processes that if a parent or caretaker needed assistance at any stage, they could reach out to DRMS and be connected with your team to get assistance? Yes, and okay. again, we would have to see if they met our case selection criteria, um, but assuming that they did, we would be able to help, and a lot of times, even if they didn't, we might be able to provide some kind of technical assistance mm -hmm. 
at, and at the very least, we would always provide a referral. Okay, great. So kind of switching over, I just want to talk about another area of your team's work. Um, I want to address the protections that are in place when a parent suspects that their child might be being discriminated against based on their disability. Um, so what kind of protections does a parent have or what kind of options does a parent have if their child is faced with that kind of action? So students with disabilities are protected against disability-based discrimination and they also have a right to reasonable accommodations under both the Americans with Disabilities Act and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. In the past, when we've seen these um, types of issues come up, we have had parents um, you know, write to the school and if they aren't able to resolve it with the school, to file an OCR complaint. Mm -hmm. so, what about, um, so what about bullying? What protections are in place for that? I know that's a big concern and, and kind of a prevalent thing that's happening in schools. Um, what, what can we do to help and what kind of protections are in place for that? So both bullying and disability harassment can be a form of discrimination. That would, again, violate 504 and Title II. Harassment can also break other civil rights, child abuse, and criminal laws. Under Mississippi law, each school has to have a bullying plan um, on how they address the bullying issues. So that can uh, be a method for a parent to use to correct those types of issues. And although the IEP doesn't specifically have a provision addressing bullying, the IEP process can be used to address those issues because bullying can affect the free appropriate public education that they're entitled to. Right. And that bullying plan, um, is it available? Like if a parent, can a parent request that from a school? Um, or it might even be part of their handbook. I mean, how does the, how does a parent normally get that plan if they want it? Well, it's it's different for every school district, but um, yes, usually you can find a lot of information in the school district's handbook on bullying. As far as the plan in the IEP, that would be up to the IEP committee to develop that. But when things aren't being addressed and and you have an argument that it's affecting their education then it would be something that would be appropriately addressed in the IEP. Okay, okay. So now moving on, and, and that was mostly us kind of chatting about your team's education-related work. And so I kind of want to flip over to an area where your work and my work overlaps a little bit, and that's okay. with facilities. Um, your team regularly monitors facilities that house juveniles, provide services to children with disabilities. My team typically oversees, uh, my team oversees uh, facilities where adults are provided program and services or where they are housed. Um, so talk to me a little bit about what the children's team um, do when they monitor facilities. Okay, so um, as the PNA, uh, we have a mandate to investigate all allegations of abuse and neglect. So normally on the children's team, what that looks like is the advocate, who Veronica, who does the facility work, she'll go in and she'll provide training and information to um, the children and the staff. 
Uh, she will also monitor and, and investigate the facilities. She can go anywhere that the residents can go and look for compliance issues and um, the, that sort of thing. Um, often the children, they don't have any idea what their rights are while they're in facilities and so that's a big uh, the rights training is a big piece of what she does um, because her work educates them on what can and can't happen there and so after the rights training the children will have an opportunity to talk with her one-on-one and then they can make a complaint if they want to Um, and we also do get calls in occasionally uh, for the facility work, but normally those cases are gotten from the advocate being out in the trenches and talking with these kids. Gotcha. And so um, an issue that keeps coming up in our, our juvenile justice work, which I've, I do a little bit of just through our correctional facilities project, um, is the issue of educating children who are in juvenile justice facilities. Um, For example, DRMS is one of the monitors who oversees the current consent decree um, with Henley Young Juvenile Justice Center in Hines County. So I know this is specifically something that is part of that consent decree, but is an issue across the state in these types of facilities. So are, are children entitled to special education when they are residing at a juvenile detention center? Yes. So under the... IDEA, all children between the ages of 3 and 21 are entitled to the free, appropriate public education in their least restrictive environment that we mentioned earlier. And and that would also apply to children in facilities as well. Okay. And then, you know, we've we talked about on previous episodes rights of people in facilities. Um, mostly we've been talking about our prison project and the rights of uh, offenders in those facilities. But what about children's and children in facilities? You just mentioned that they are not aware of their rights. So, what are some of the things that our advocates inform them of? Just, just if there's a parent out there who has a child in one of these behavioral health facilities, we want them to also be aware of what kind of rights their child has when they're in one of these uh, facilities. So, I think first and foremost, you know, they're entitled to be in an environment that's free from abuse, neglect, or exploitation. Um, But they're also entitled to be in a clean and safe environment. Uh, Just to name a few others, they also have a right to confidentiality, and they also have a right to be free from seclusion or restraints. Seclusion and restraints can only be used uh, when the safety of the child or others is at risk. Right. And, you know, I've worked with um, the Henley Young uh, consent decree enough to know that one of the things uh, parents of children who are in that facility, we have always recommended to them that you inquire as to what restraint and seclusions are used. And this is not just for a juvenile justice facility. This is for any um, facility or program that houses or provides services to children with any type of disability. And so that's always a, a really important question, and we always encourage parents to ask, 
ask, ask, ask. So what else has your team got going on? Are there any major projects on the horizon? So, yes, um, there's there are a couple of things that we're looking at. Um, back to the education side of things, we are looking at children who are being sent home from school early. Mm-hmm. These early send homes aren't necessarily um, documented. It might just be like like the phone the school picks up the phone and says, "Hey, come pick your child up because he or she is acting up." Mm-hmm. So we're looking at that as a violation of uh, their IDEA rights. Then for the ed, for the facility work, um, the biggest project that we're looking at right now are children in CPS custody who are being unnecessarily institutionalized. What we're seeing right now is a trend that these children uh, with disabilities are being left in facilities past their discharge dates. When it's time for CPS to come pick them up, they're just not. And so then the facility is, I mean, I guess they're really left with no choice but to change the discharge date or try to send them somewhere else. So we'll mm-hmm. see a discharge date just be extended and extended or see a child just move around the state from facility to facility to facility. So we're trying to um, you know, investigate and look at that throughout the state and find trends because at the end of the day, these kids are in CPS custody and it's it's the state's responsibility to, to find an appropriate place for them to go and right. institutionalizing them isn't the answer. Right, right. Well, I wanted to thank you for coming and chatting with us about the Children's Rights Team. I'm sure we'll have you in the future to talk about some more specific um, children's rights issues that we want to keep parents informed of. Um, so you're just my second guest since I decided that I was going to start ending my podcast episodes on a positive note. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I'm asking all my guests at the end of our interview, what are the three things that you love most about Mississippi and why to you, is it such a special place? I think first I would just have to say that it's home. I was born and raised here, so that would always be my first reason why I love Mississippi. Uh, Second, the food. The food is great, (laughs) let's be honest. And third, probably southern accents. I love a good southern Mississippi accent, so those would probably be my three things. But um, I just think it's such a special place because it is home and we're behind in a lot of areas and it's we're, we're working to make it better. And right. That's what I think makes it special. Yeah, and I agree with you. And we, we are behind in a lot of ways and we've talked about that on previous episodes. I'm sure we'll continue to talk about that in future episodes. Um, but where we, for every, um, thing we're behind on, we truly make up for it in, uh, the grit and the, you know, hospitality and the wonderful kindness of people in Mississippi. It's very heartwarming, um, to move about the state and meet people, um, who just love this state and they want to see us do better. So I really appreciate you being one of those people and working with us at DRMS and doing all the great work you're doing. So 
in closing, I just wanted to let our listeners know that if you are a parent who has any questions or concerns about what Victoria discussed today or, or any um, issue that you think our children's rights team could help you with, feel free to reach out, contact DRMS. Our contact information is in our show notes. You can always find us at our website, www.drms.ms. Um, we are on social media, Twitter, Facebook. It's our latest information. That's probably the best way to stay up to date on what we have going on. And until next time, I'm Greta Martin with Disability Rights Mississippi, and we are just getting started. The information provided during this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. All content provided by Disability Rights Mississippi on this podcast is for informational purposes only.